When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My guest this week is the human rights activist and North Korean defector, Timothy Cho. Timothy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Forward to you. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you. Now, firstly, I'd like to ask you about day-to-day life in North Korea. And in, in the West, I think we, we tend to have an idea of what North Korea is like from, from the, the highly sanitized images that the regime releases of the, the modern looking capital Pyongyang, for example. So could you give listeners an idea of what North Korea is really like in, in just day to day life? As I've been living in the UK for 13 years now, so far I catch, it, I catch on the media uh, talking about North Korea. It's always about the leadership, how people, you know, uh, following the leadership with the crowd of cheering. It's difficult also we see the inside exact life, how dark and, and suffering people, everyday life they have. We don't see it on the media and sadly, that's why I've been continue speaking and, 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 and my advocacy role to do this. So the first image of uh, this could be even question for you as well. That what we draw this image when we talk about North Korea. I mean, certainly we're thinking about the leader of young man who has been quite spotlight on the international media. But when we look at it uh, through the through Google satellite, it's very clear how dark it is. This country, it is the life of North Korean people on a daily basis. I can straight point out this, it's a prison country, it's a large prison country. People's eyes are closed and ears are blocked. They can see, they hear something, but they have to pretend to have not seen or heard anything. And movement, certainly, uh, we, we, I mean, throughout lockdown, we perhaps have a little experience of this, how, how difficult it is you know, to move to another location because of this virus situation. But in North Korea, that has been happening for so long. You need the uh, permission and authority travel document and in order to travel to even one hour distance on a train. And you can imagine that people ha- don't even know what a passport is or have ever imagined it for foreign holidays. So this was uh, one of the North Korean uh, most high-ranking defectors who defected in 1997. He was involved to establishing North Korean system um, from early 1960s, 70s. And he, he, after his defection, he told that uh, with his uh, honest and obvious straight point was from scholars' point of view, uh, I can't doubt that how significant large prison society system North Korea has because every uh, citizen and human being living in North Korea is being watched, followed, listened. And yeah, you, you don't actually understand what human right or freedom, what human being it means can realize what kind of uh, uh, fundamental right that person can have. It's basic things though. It's very basic things that they don't even realize who they are by themselves. I'm struck really by you saying just how dark it is. And you're right to mention when we see the, the satellite images of North Korea and seeing how, how vibrant and light the South is in comparison to the North. So given that that's the, the state of North Korea today, what, what was it like when you were growing up? What was your childhood like? Well, I could say that I was born in a decent family uh, where my both parents were uh, teachers in high school. So uh, it wasn't just in, in a way of comparing the, uh, democratic life was in a middle-class family, was enjoying following parents, you know. And but this kind of that 
uh, childhood drama was then soon turned into a different way. Uh, I could say into the lowest and life all of a sudden after my parents escaped to China. So um, such countries like North Korea, probably Soviet Union used to have or communist dictatorship countries, they usually call you a son of a betrayer if your parents escaped. That is a tag, kind of a slavery tag. It follows you everywhere. And once you have that tag, it, it pass on to your children and your grandchildren too. Well, when you have that, you have no future way of the process. You can think of anything. So we can compare this, such as uh, South Africa's apartheid system, how they specifically uh, discriminated uh, and persecuted those people in certain groups. So it's, it's what in North we have diff three different type of classes between the high ruling class and second one is wavering class. It can be like a middle class a section. The third one they call a hostile class, which I was belonging there. So I'm soon I could not carry on my education because everyone, you can you could imagine that people come as student, your friends and people, uh, fingering at you that oh he's a sort of betrayer you know and that image it, it, it certainly ruins your life and of course following on that uh, situation in North Korea in the 1990s millions of starvation was happening and after North Korea chose to go into deep isolation so my 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 childhood life I haven't got much um, proud of stories I can visualize still that a picture of uh, the moment when I all of a sudden realized my parents left and in tears of crying for, I didn't know what to do. So it was quite young age. And also, and the reality comes from next day morning that no longer I had parents. And to get on with that life growing up, with our parents was, I, I can say that it was a survivor on a daily basis. And, and also during that time, because of many peop uh, people's starvation and running away, escaping into chi to China, that had caused hundreds of thousands of homeless children that time. So I, I could say I was one of them a lot among these hundreds of thousands um, and many of them also died of starvation throughout that period. And I am grateful, I am lucky, I have to say, where I am today, how I got still you know, alive myself, but I have this, some kind of a prosperous and free, uh, enjoying life living in Great Britain particularly. So there's so much I can talk about from that stage until to get here. But to your question about and what I remember in North Korea was it was on a daily survival mm -hmm. that I can picture of it and, and also featureless and hopeless. I could think of because the society could not even offer me a normal person's life that such as you could make a choice join the army to even joining the army in North Korea is compulsory for over 10 years. But even that anyone can join that army uh, uh, option, I could not have it. Today I can join the British Army if I want actually, you know, uh, filling our application. Um, and I was not able to even join definitely poli political party that North Korea only has one political party, can you imagine? But it was not my option. But today I'm a member of a uh, political party in the UK and I'm sure North Korea knows about my story today. And I don't know what kind of reaction they might have because someone who abandoned had not offered anything it was not even they could offer me the way of direction you could choose that kind of uh, choice of opportunity is absolutely completely zero in general in the society but to my, uh, um, on my case certainly uh, there was no way i could think of what my future had well i'd, I'd like to ask you about the the hostile classes you put it in a moment but i'd just like to pick up on the the fact that you know, your your parents uh, as you say they escaped to to China when you were quite young, but what, what was the reason that you didn't go with them? Was it not safe for you to go with them or? Yeah, I, I, I should ask my parents about these questions. <laughs> <laughs> there, there must be, I mean, some of uh, security reasons particularly. Mm -hmm. 
when you think of escape to another country, we do understand how risky it is, particularly North Koreans when they don't even know what a passport is, don't have it. There's no basic protection or guarantees of what kind of place you can settle down. So in, in many of these kind of cases, why uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of North Korean people escaped without children. And that was, that could be in that case of, uh, for my parents as well. Was it was it the case that they were they going to tell you that they were leaving, or was it the case that you just came home one day and found that they, they had gone? <laughs> they just left. Yeah, <laughs> just, just just left. Yeah. So so th- this hostile class, as you say, that's uh, the, the the authorities and society had, had placed on you. you. You've mentioned some of the characteristics that that includes, but what what impact did that have on your your daily life? That that's perception that you were the, the, the child of a betrayed. And you can't go to school, obviously. So um, I my my case, I was not even uh, completed my primary school that time. But from that point, I could not attend school. Just to imagine. Um, I'm just giving you an example of this. A student crowd of gathering in front of school, hundreds of students among them. But school principal bring, uh, call someone's name out and stand, come out in front of the, the whole crowd of students. And then they say, oh, uh, that tells that his parents betrayed our dear leader or our beloved country. And, uh, and, and I think if this is just an example of a picture, what if it happens? And that, that kid, the, is, the dreams is collapsed. Attending uh, school uh, from nursery, reception, and go to school, it's exciting for children, you know. You make friends and having memory of spending, playing, and school education, all of this. But that is not comes to uh, destroy these boys or this uh, young uh, girl's life because of from the moment you have that tag. When they come to fingering at you, oh, his parents escaped, her parents escaped. It's not just escaped. North Korea or government, they call these escapees are human scum. So what would you they uh, classify them, their children? It is a human scum's child or children. They don't count to you as in a way of a human being, they are that process. You are most discriminated in food, healthcare, jobs, promotions. So such as what I exemplified, it's compulsory for every young man uh, and in North Korea have to join the army, national army, it's for 10 years army have to serve the country. But that kind of compulsory option and process, these, these people of who are belong to hostile class, they cannot be included in there. The where they have to end up, and, and my case was they said I could go to coal mine. So coal mine in North Korea circumstances, you have no safety uh, uh, belt or equipment you have to go into the uh, underground cave and you can be uh, dead there easily. And this is a kind of slavery process, like modern slavery we have. I mean, we know that North Korea sends out hundreds of thousands of uh, slavery workers to Russia and, and to former uh, so, uh, communism countries as well, which UN made this uh, 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 sanctioned on this case is no longer available. Some countries do follow, but some countries do, do not follow, such as China and Russia. And that, that was a hostile class uh, case, and also uh, having the attack with, uh, of son of a betrayer. And you can't, I mean, you cannot smile properly because you have to be afraid of walk on the street if anyone comes, oh, he's, he's fatherless, get he's a son of a betrayer. The society itself bully you and discriminate you and offer you nothing. 
So in my life, I, I not proud of saying this, that how many times I was abandoned. I mean, maybe because it was, I don't like to use this word because something happened to me. My parents had to leave the country. But in my case, because I was a victim, I, it remains my young heart, the darkness all of a sudden comes tearing on the floor, you know, for hours. And it, 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 for many years, it felt to me that I was abandoned by my parents. But today, I don't think in that way. But then I was also abandoned by my own government. Then why can, can and this is, this is one of the reasons why I so much appreciate this government. Was I born here? No. But the humanity of love and caring for one another, that, that very basic fundamental humanity uh, accepted me and offered me life. And I was able to go to school, uh, at college, universities, and where even my life settled down in this country. And now even I have a passport, I can travel all around the world. And 25 million North Korean people should have this basic freedoms of that life of what human being can have. What government's role is to protect and provide the environment to let their own people and without fears, they can do economic and social activities. Son of a betrayer, that attack, compare the picture what I have and sitting even in front of my laptop and talking to you. This was not what I imagined many years ago. Do you have any idea of where your parents are now or what, what happened to them after they left? Well, my mother passed away, um, but I didn't know where my father lives. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he lives in, in South Korea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so obviously you, the situation is just... Uh, uh, I, I'm struggling to imagine the, the hardships that you, you went through. Uh, but at what point did you realize that you, you simply had no other choice but to es- escape from North Korea? And how did you escape? Yeah, um, the, the last two uh, moments, the, the result, the final moment made me clicking decision was it was at the at the military office in, in North Korea. Um, they said you can't join the army because your father betrayed. And I I even and expressed myself. Well, my parents was betrayed that uh, because of that I could work twice, three times harder to pay back of my parents' betrayal of that country. How naive I was able to yeah, say in this way. But there was no kind of a, a state in, in the image of what it meant to be, you know, uh, being pre- uh, uh, represented as leaders of, and look after their own people. That was not the image of what they had. So even uneducated young uh, teenager uh, boy I was that time, but it was clear to me, there is no more feature or any kind of question I can have in this country. And so on my own, I thought maybe anywhere I could go and escape to any, any countries, I could survive probably. I did not much of outside that time yet because you have a complete blockade, information blockade from both inside and outside in North Korea. So you, can, you are not able to compare between A, B, C, the options that kind of what a picture, that picture look different, why then I can have this kind of. But one thing um, I still remember that I met when I first watched the foreign film was Smugglers brought this film was James Bond. <laughs> so I'm a big fan of James Bond. I mean, we, we, we do all like him. I'm sure all these James Bond actors. So when I was watching this film, and it, it, it visualized myself. Oh, is it actually that kind of world exists outside of North Korea? So um, the moment of clicking, I, I needed, I wanted to escape. But at the same time, drawing of this kind of visualized pictures, I was thinking, yeah, anywhere I go, I, I, I should be able to survive on my own. So simple mind as, as that young, you know, uh, passionate age, that's how I escaped, and I made it twice escape from North Korea to China, and 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 sadly, 
during that uh, journey, I was imprisoned four times, three times in China, one time was in North Korea. It was, it was, none of this was my will. And all I was hoping to find was a, a, a life in a democratic society and to start with somewhere different life. And particularly when I first crossed the Tumen River into China and I got shocked. Uh, it was on the first day evening when I, when I went to Chinese market, it, it, was, it was more than and, you know, five, and, uh, 10 years ago. You can imagine China was still less developed compared to today. But that market was astonishing. So many different light. And having said uh, early this, early this interview, uh, we talked about darkness, how darkness through satellite we can see North Korea. We're entering that Chinese market, it was, it was absolutely something I had never seen spectacular, so many different lights, and particularly where all these people wearing different fashions and, and hairstyles. Can you imagine North Korea? You only have to have one hairstyle and you cannot wear jeans. And that time I was in North Korea, you are not allowed to wear clothes written any English alphabet. So, you cannot imagine this kind of society actually exists in the 21st century, to be honest. So, and also, the, all these pictures came to me, see how young people were, you know, wearing uh, all type of shoes, skirts, jeans, hairstyles. It's kind of pre-style of life showing me. I was like, why didn't I escape earlier from this country? And all of that certain was reminding me what I learned. North Korea was the best country and best leaders. It was all fake. So you, you mentioned there that, that uh, you, you'd been arrested and detained a, a number of times during your, your attempts to escape from the, the country. What were the conditions like in, in the prisons? Yeah, um, I will not go into very, very deep details of the uh, conditions inside the prison and uh, just need a personal well-being trauma and still have to, uh, I have to keep, keep in mind. Of course. So um, when North Koreans are coming to China, they because they have not basic, you know, the protection and all of them, anyone who are arrested, uh, they are sent back to North Korea. So hundreds of thousands of people, probably millions, have been arrested and sent back to North Korea. That's what one of the UN reports was analyzed. Over 400,000 people died in, 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 in incarcerated in, in prison camps in North Korea over the past 30 years. But this is a so far estimated figures. It could be more from my personal own point of view because desperate people, they, so many have been escaping but only we have 35,000 people have managed to get into democracies. Um, first, uh, uh, the, one of the major uh, diaspora communities in, in South Korea, and second largest uh, North Korean escapist diaspora is in the UK, uh, which, uh, which I am grateful that. We have around 670 North Korean escapees. Most of them are living in London. <laughs> and you have one in Denton. <laughs> and so, and it the root, and it was the same for me and other people, SKPs, they usually go to uh, China and from China, you have to go to another countries. And then this is all illegal. You have to cross their borders into another country and another country. So sadly, and China is one of the ratified state with the 1967 and 55 or the, the UN Geneva Refugee Conventions which North Korean refugees uh, are ratified by uh, a 1955 UN Geneva Refugee Convention that anywhere they go to, they can claim asylum. But China, although it's a member state, they don't do that. They uh, do not respect our international charters and principles, which they do opposite way over North Koreans, although they know when they returned, they uh, end up in prison camps or sometimes even publicly executed. And my case was same when I tried to uh, cross the border into Mongolia. So where I, I was hoping to get into Mongolia and from Mongolia, 
my, uh, my plan was a uh, pursuit to go to a democratic society. If China was providing us you know, a, a basic protection or this you know, the, the, uh, uh, a, uh, the kind of life opportunity, I think many Northern SKPs would not such making that um, a very difficult journey. Although most of them, we want to go to South Korea, many of them, because South Korea still maintains one Korea policy. That's one of the reasons why many are settled and live in South Korea today. So there, I it, it, it traveled where I was arrested at the Mongolian border with all the North Korean escapees, and then we were detained in a few different uh, detention centers, prison, and then finally we were sent back to North Korea. It was it was awful uh, being in a North Korean prison cell. I could I I don't know how many there were, but there could be hundreds of them. I don't know how to how I can uh, express this in in a short word. North Korea definitely have one of the very um, severe prison and torture systems in the world. I, I am I, I can you can ask every single of North Korean they would say the same answers. And remembering one guy uh, who was sitting behind of me and we discovered him was uh, him uh, and died next day morning and when i entered the, the prison cell first thing i saw he was uh, coughing and he on his back was you know that beating torture scars where he was in pain that moment but uh, they were not in care of that process and I was in my room, around 50 prisoners within have even space to lie down. But we had to sit, sit down and lean on each other's back. And you offer only two uh, uh, scoop of a noodle soup. And while you are followed uh, severe investigation and beating and torture, you can imagine what kind of uh, this, uh, conditions inside this prison. Well, I, I am so lucky that I, I got out from this prison cell, how it happened, you know, and, and I often think that was God's miracle, you know, otherwise I could not interpret it in, in a different way, to be honest. That's how I then was able to manage my second escape to China again. Um, the second time, again, when I went to this, uh, this time, I couldn't think of to cross another border, but when I went to Shanghai American School, I thought they could help us yeah, uh, to get out, uh, get to a democratic society. Um, but there I was once again arrested and ended up in Shanghai International Prison. And um, yeah, I don't know what, what kind of destiny I have or I, I will have, but certainly during that time, I would keep arrested and, and end up in a prison and that Something wasn't, you never expected what kind of life it would come in that way when you were born. Mm. Certainly not was thinking of that. And I thought, even, you know, growing up with our parents and parents love that interaction and where you meant to have, that was enough suffering I thought I had. had. But again and again, during that journey, continue on. Yeah, I blamed a lot, but did not even where to blame. End up ending up in this uh, Shanghai prison cell. But very interestingly, in my prison cell, I had seven uh, cellmates, and it was, uh, uh, American, Japanese, Colombian, Malaysian, South Korean, Chinese, and I was a North Korean youngest prisoner. And this this, this South Korean gangster. He was actually a gangster, <laughs> and we spoke same language. But I, I was in tears every night because I knew my, what my second uh, repatriation to North Korea consequence to me was uh, definitely an option of a public execution because I went to American school. Because America is uh, one of the North Korea's propaganda enemy. That's one of the reasons why North Korea continue able to exist today, or they even call their own socialism in that propaganda way. 
So why I was in that in that uh, thinking of going back to North Korea would be executed or end up in a prison camp. This guy came and 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 started talking to me. And then one one of the things and I what he also uh, what he said to me was quite a lot of hope was he said I could stop pray. I never knew how to pray. And, and I never I, I never properly read or knew about what kind of even religion in this world exists. Because it's a, a North Korean people, they don't much know uh, about this kind of uh, types of religions and denominations. But in my hope, that was I was only able to hold in this darkest and, and coldest and scariest prison cell. And uh, with my personal hope, I so much prayed for my freedom. Yeah. And, and on that that second uh, attempt to uh, escape, what what did you do differently this time around that you you didn't do on the the first attempt that made your your second attempt at, at escaping more successful? Having said, it was a really miracle that I can only describe in this way. Um, it, we we were all uh, expecting to go back to North Korea, but what happened was. Um, during my arrest at the American uh, Shanghai American School, International School, uh, there was someone who took a photo of our arrest, resting moment by Chinese police, because uh, it was, so much wrestling was going on between Chinese police and, and nine of our refugee group, you know, we didn't want to get out. But this photo was viral all around the world. It was passed on to a journalist, and then which later I discovered a number of major medias, including uh, Washington Post and BBC, South Korea and Japan, these medias and the pressure on the Chinese government and also many religious groups and, and, and human rights groups, they joined this campaign. And that I think pressured on the, on the Chinese government. I mean, China made very, very unusual decision. It was very unprecedented the kind of decision they ever made that they deport us to another country instead of North Korea. I mean, you, it only happens if you are a politically important figure you know, or diplomat when you claim asylum. You know. But my case, I mean, such as an ordinary uh, teenager boy and barely even North Korean government would recognize my name, who I was, you know, and all these escapees. But in that value of... Uh, I could say the the, uh, the 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 humanity was counted in this international you know, stage and from these democratic countries campaign, they were uh, uh, made the maximum pressure and China also changed their mind at that clicking moment and which they even provided us a diplomatic passport, uh, which I had never seen those things. So that's how I was deported to another country. And, yeah. and through that uh, process, finally, I was able to come to UK uh, in 2008. I mean, I'm, I'm just so amazed that throughout all of this, you, you were just a, t- a teenager when all this was happening. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking to you now, I'm, I'm 20 years old. I just cannot imagine it, experiencing all that at, at such a, a young age. But you say you, you came to the UK in uh, 2008. You've been here now for 13 years. And we, we also know that the North Korean government, they, they have operatives spread right across the world. Even now, after being in the UK for so long, do, do you still worry for your safety? Well, I do not have a, any profile in North Korea because I, I could not even a, properly able to attend the school or school education in North Korea. But certainly I have a profile perhaps in the UK because as a, demo, a UK citizen and democratic citizen, and I have been able to go to you know, school universities and work uh, and got a job uh, opportunity at the parliament and even study for you know, local election in the UK. I'm, I'm not sure. I want to ask this question to the government of North Korea. Mm-hmm. Are they actually thinking of it in that way, to be honest? Because they might think I could be the opposition. Certainly I, I speak on behalf of these voiceless millions of North Korean people 
they may think I could be the opposition. You know? But meanwhile, I can, I can also say that I, 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 I stood for election for my home community here in Denton. So and in certain ways, uh, I could say yes or no as well. But certainly when I'm talking about uh, or speaking on behalf of my own people in North Korea, and many millions of us still there, uh, and also what kind of life they have, North Korea wouldn't, certainly wouldn't like about what I speak on their behalf. And that certainly I have to bear in mind. Yeah. We'll, we'll look at your um, election campaign in a moment, but uh, just since coming to the UK, you've already stated a, a number of these already, but what opportunities has life in the UK given you? What, what sort of freedoms have you been able to enjoy since settling in the UK that were simply unthinkable or unimaginable back in North Korea? When I, when I first came here, I, uh, the first part, obviously, I didn't speak any English. And that's why I had to go through first the process to learn. But in the meantime, I also went to the, uh, uh, I volunteered and t- uh, to support helping a homeless people uh, in a drop-in center. It was in Bolton. And I, I, you can imagine that my own experience as a homeless myself and what kind of you know, starvation and hunger I had gone through. But this drop-in center, it was a beautiful place still. You know, although uh, uh, we st- we call them homeless people, but they were able to come there, you know, having food and 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 nurses and volunteer nurses and doctors come in, you know, helping them and check their health health issues as well. I was amazed. To t- I mean, you shouldn't compare it between what kind of homeless it is between North Korea and here. I still certainly we should we are uh, we have a capability to minimize of these number of homeless people, you know. And provide them uh, um, second opportunities, because some of them ended up in, in that kind of circumstances unexpectedly. But, but there, when I was attend and uh, going to this drop-in center and was uh, making their tea and, and coffee and washing their mugs and talking to them, I made many homeless friends in that Bolton area, and that was moment of when these people I was barely speaking even any good English at that time. But they were listening to me. And when I, what I took that part of even washing and coffee cups and tea cups, it was an opportunity for me that I was able to do that. And that realized me what I can do if I'm able to communicate well and what I can helping out these people who are in vulnerable circumstances. Because if I was one of them, we did that together. So certainly it encouraged me to pursue my education here and I was able to do that to college and universities. And after university, um, even go to university, it's your choice. We do not force you to do that. I mean, the, the, the opportunity we have here, the freedom of express and to choose. And after high school, then you, you are thinking of your, your choice and your dream, what you like to be. You may not know because you, you could be too young, but that's all we have people around. Um, friends, family, you know, and, and people who are attending um, churches, the community advise as well. And these are available opportunities. And these great resources and resources for us. That's why and we continue on able to sustain this community, making progress every new generation coming up. So that kind of choice I was able to make, able to go to university upon my own effort, obviously making a determination. But, and most importantly, and also that education, I know we pay one of the high tuition fees in the world, <laughs> one of the most expensive tuition fees in the world. But that, the tuition fees you can still able to borrow, it is a worthwhile investment if you really want to go to university. But if you want to choose job, uh, job training and courses and, and program, that's also fine. We choose that way available options in this life and society. No one stops you in this country and democratic countries. If you walk into church, no one arrests you. If you travel to another country without you know, tra- travel document, no one arrests you. And uh, I mean, th- these gen- generic opportunities that what you can choose, what you can think of, what you can uh, advise from your parents, 
that is available. And we are safe to do these uh, social and economic and even political activity in this country was sad though. We, we seen that uh, um, uh, the, our, one of our uh, uh, MPs and uh, he was murdered and it was also happened five years ago. This kind of things should ever happen again, again um, in, in our uh, respective democratic society. So um, until this stage where we come, what we are able to do this, this is un uh, unthinkable life and opportunities in countries like North Korea. One, one of the things we've already dis discussed and touched on briefly is the, the fact that you, you stood for election in May as well. And, you know, you and another North Korean defector, Ji Hyun Park, you, you both made history earlier this year by becoming the first North Koreans to stand for election outside of the Korean Peninsula, incredibly both in Greater Manchester. So how did you find your experience of being an election candidate? Um, so after my master's, um, I, I, I both degrees I studied in politics and international relations, but my master's was in uh, politics and international security at Liverpool University. And then I, I, I had a, uh, an opportunity to uh, work at the parliament. I worked for uh, Fiona Bruce MP, who is now Prime Minister's Special Envoy for Freedom of Religion. And so during my work at our parliament, I have seen real kind of democratic checks and balances that institutions and work, how the government work, you know, and how this uh, democratic heart functions properly. And I could say that my kind of the political heart that I can do something, you know, I, I, as a democratic citizen and as a holding one, a ballot paper in my hand, in my hand, I could certainly do something, you know, politically contribute as well myself from my, upon my uh, own experience also where I was persecuted, uh, uh, voice was completely uh, ignored in such in those countries, but here, and our voice, it can be heard. And that has really encouraged me uh, when I join, uh, finally I made a choice to join a party, uh, join a party, and then this process of coming up in a nomination when it came up. So, I mean, the simple heart I had was, I. I have received a lot from this country and community and people. Um, I mean, in certain ways, uh, I thought if I'm elected, certainly uh, I want to pay back these things and also those, uh, helping our people who are living in the marginalized situations. Because I was one of them came to this country with, without any single penny, but I haven't able to have these opportunities. Why then those people who are in that, those circumstances, why can they not have? at least you can encourage them to uh, uh, challenge or stand and thinking of their future and process and these opportunities. We have many uh, uh, difficult situations even in our country too, in, in the UK. I'm certain in terms of the two, many single parents, children who are struggling and drug issues and, and gangs and also lower income issues and homeless issues we have as well. We can count all of these issues what we have in every area, to be honest, because not everyone can be, you know, uh, can make a certain that uh, great and, uh, and, and determined decisions. Sometimes they need some kind of motivation support. And I recognize in this from my own experience, and particularly what I have seen working uh, at the parliament was humble experience where I was able to involve the tabling questions in the Commons and House of Lords and in, involved in debate, listening to international business, how it deals. And that part and, and desired me, okay, if I want to learn about uh, uh, the deeper side of politics, then you have to go international and local level because that's where it starts from family and local community local politics, national community, uh, community, national politics, and that goes on to international politics. So it has to start from a local side to understand how we look after each other. I mean, think of where you live 
and you certainly spot out some issues if you're not happy some with that. And I, where I live, my family is here. It's my home community, my family community. And while I think of my family, other family may have other issues, but they are, you know, hesitated to speak out these issues, or even if they sometimes complain to the council and local government, the issues are not sorted. And these basic things that is start from local level. So when this nomination came, and probably my North Korean colleague Ji Pa had would, would have same mind that she she also grateful where she lives in Barry with her family settled down after she has had gone through so many uh, kind of sufferings. So it's same same uh, for for her and also it, the issue come to me uh, in this way same that where I when where my nomination it came and I humbly accepted it. But this also then symbolized another picture. I mean, obviously that was from my heart where I wanted uh, to uh, wanted to serve the local people and community. But there was also then another picture came quite globally was from a totalitarian system to a democratic election. This was kind of fairy tale story when you look at it, because countries like in North Korea, they have only one candidate. And also um, the politics is something people um, perception is only those who are privileged within the ruling class they can but here uh, uh, both as Jihyun and myself you can imagine where we come from what background we were able to uh, uh, get into this process of nomination even become a become a candidate itself it is a picture of how democracy can be champions in many ways Mm-hmm. It's not just the ideology, it's more than this notion of ideology, the picture we can draw. So, so what message do you hope you and Jihyun will send to defectors around the world, by, just by simply standing for election? Well, yes, we can use that word simply. But, mm-hmm. and, but in, within this message of standing for democratic election, as I look at it, when I, at this picture in the UK, it's not just to... I always think we should not have this opportunity only in the UK. Mm. I think uh, every country, we should certainly pursue this kind of life we can um, establish and restore again. And many countries cannot have it. There are over, hundred, uh, over 340 million people. It's still minimum number. They're not counted every single of the figure. But one of the, uh, the uh, uh, religious organization reports says, People are being persecuted on a daily basis. When is count this? Why it does happen? Because these countries, those countries, they don't have this kind of life and opportunity, and this uh, uh, picture of what life can have within that democratic uh, environment. And I, I, I also uh, hope. Well, I am certainly hoping that. North Korea should become one of these countries like uh, UK someday and China should become one day. Let's hope even uh, all this, uh, what's happening in Burma, Hong Kong uh, and in in, in Eritrea, Sudan, Nigeria, all these countries. And we got to work hard even more, particularly what I'm urging here, our young generations coming up. We can have a better society and better a nation and better world than what we are currently, you know, so many people are, cannot have these kind of opportunities. This is a democratic picture of this, not just think of it in a way of ideology. It's, it, it is a modern ideology where someone can have a life and family, children and family can have a, a meal, a family meal properly and sitting down at the dining table within the safe environment. Mm-hmm. What UK have today is great privilege. And I, 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 I do, every day I, I can and say that I draw this picture someday, those people who are in these oppressed countries they can have. And, and also UK as well. And I, I also would like to urge and, and people in the UK and other democratic countries. And don't think this freedom, what we have here is something granted for. No, 
this uh, we uh, we are currently having remembrance, you know, the events, you know, holding our puppies, you know, it's because our uh, 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 grandparent generation they fought hard, they achieved this. If we are going to close our left eyes, soon we may have to close our right eyes, and this momentum of what we have, it's not there is always. So how we then participate? We all can take our role in this way. Um, young people politically, if you think that's not going rightly, then express. It's freedom of expression country. And write something, social media. And if you are a, a, a committed a religious person, pray. And if we, can, uh, if we can able to donate for those who are in suffering situation, we did that. The heart of our humanity, you know, we keep them uh, able to have a hope. Because when there are no hope, soon that can come to us. So I, I'm, I'm urging here, and, and also every local election and national election, I really want more people come out to the board. It's, it's a one ballot paper. We don't have 10 ballot papers, it's one ballot paper. We fill out and we choose a candidate who can, and we think the person who will serve this community and people well with their genuine heart. And that's my uh, message, probably all my uh, North Korean and brothers and sisters would have the same message. And we must also proud of where we are um, in these democratic societies, UK, US and France and all these countries. And are you planning on standing for election again next year? Well, if this opportunity comes, my answer is definitely yes, because it is one of the most most great privileged opportunity. I know you have to give a lot of time, particularly if you are not elected, you still have to give your time and effort alongside your job and your family. But this is what, what commitment to about democratic civilization comes from because we want to share our heart and our, our effort with our community and families around your home areas. And even if one vote, it came for me last May's election, I would have expressed the same gratitude to them. And thankfully I had more than one vote. So it was really humble experience. Okay, and my, my final question to you today, you've, you've mentioned that you're a huge James Bond fan. So who would you like to see replace Daniel Craig? Oh, that's a very, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good question and tricky. Yeah, that's very uh, uh, actually serious question because he's not going away, isn't it? <laughs> Should we think ask uh, Tom Cruise to become next James Bond? <laughs> well, we can always live in hope. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see who is going to be, but we can certainly talk about it when the next character <laughs> is going to be decided. Yeah. Okay, well, Timothy Cho, thank you very, very much for coming on the show. And thank you for sharing your story with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you. Thank you.